from the city of brotherly love. This is Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. You just arrived to the news episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your glamorous host, David Strasser. This is your place to grow a business during complete global chaos. Today, we're going to talk about tax credits. First, though, tonight, yes, tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Mountain, 3 p.m. Pacific Time. We are going to have our first Shark Bite Biz live live stream with special co-host and previous guest Odata Pine, as well as a live interview with Chief Revenue Officer uh, Senage Corp, Scott Jennings. And it's going to be right here on our Shark Bite Biz channel here on YouTube. So please don't forget to tune in for that special show. You can go to the episode right now. Click the notification bell. It will remind you once we start airing live tonight. And if you love the live stream, if you love Shark Bite Biz, please don't forget to support us by going to deadhousecoffee.com. Use the code SHARK. You'll get 20% off of your order. We'll get all the proceeds to keep doing all this awesome stuff like this podcast, this vodcast, live streams. It helps us produce the biggest and best show we can. Plus, you're going to get the freshest coffee available. Coffee that is roasted, sealed, and shipped within a 24-hour period right to your doorstep. So now let's get back to today's show. An amazing personal story we got today about getting over a major mental block. And what is that mental block? Well, it's getting past the stroke. That is hard. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about taxes, credits, all that fun stuff. It's a jam-packed episode the same day as our Shark Bite Biz Live live stream. So who do we have today? None other than Randy Crabtree. Randy Crabtree, co-founder and partner of Tri-Merit Specialty Tax Professionals, is a widely followed author, lecturer, and podcast host for the accounting profession. Randy is also president of the 501c3 Stroke Survivors Empowering Each Other, SSEEO, and part owner in an award-winning craft beer and bottle shop in Chicago, Illinois. Since 2019, he has hosted the bi-weekly The Unique CPA Podcast, which ranks among the world's 10% most popular programs. So, hey, without further delay, let's bring Randy right on in here. Business strategy. Randy, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You, my friend, you just became Shark Bait. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. This is actually our second time uh, trying to record this interview. <laughs> we had uh, Zoom trouble with a couple interviews that you may have noticed. Like, for example, when we did our season four finale with Angela McArdle, too. Uh, but all has been resolved with Zoom, and uh, it looks like it's running without a hitch. Uh Hope I just didn't jinx us, but we have a tradition on the show. Everybody's got to kind of lay it all out on the line, you know, tell us what's your experience, what's your background, what do you do for a living, how did you get there? Basically, in a nutshell, tell us what makes Randy 
Randy. So we're going to do that in a nutshell, huh? In a nutshell. In a nutshell. All right. Well, I know it's more like a can of worms, right? (laughs) There you go. It kind of goes all over the place. I've been I've been around. I've gone to do uh, I've gone through a few different uh, careers, it seems like. But what I am is a CPA. I guess that's a starting point. Been uh, been a CPA for the last 30. I don't even know now. 34 years. But I'm not your traditional CPA, you know, I used to be, you know, doing taxes and, and accounting. What we did is we started a firm 15 years ago called Trimerit, where we do specialty tax work. So that's who I am in a nutshell today. But that by far defines really who I am. That's just what I do. Who I am is a lot different. Right. Well, do you want to tell us who you are? <laughs> uh, I, I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I'm a craft beer enthusiast. I'm a stroke uh, survivor. I'm a, wow. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a few different things. Uh, and so, yeah, it's it's I'm always I'm always cognizant of the fact that, uh, you know, your your role in your business doesn't define who you are. I think it helps mold it, but it doesn't define who you are. That that was going to be my next my next question. Not necessarily does it define who you are, but do you find that doing that actually like your your personal life, your experience, like you said that you were a stroke survivor, does that mold? Does that shape how you look at things at business? I mean, looking at that type of life experience I mean, does it make you more compassionate than the workplace, you know, or understanding of others that they're going through something similar of the sorts or something, you know, that could be catastrophic like that? How has that shaped your professional career? So it's actually so I look back, my stroke was uh, and I like we're going into the stroke topic because this is a very passionate subject for me. It was eight years ago that I had the stroke and that has turn me into the person I am today. And it's a positive thing. Now, that seems weird to say that, uh, you know, I had a stroke and outcomes are positive because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that don't feel the same way. And I'm very fortunate. I'm very fortunate on all ends of the stroke, um, um, fully recovered, you know, other than missing a little part of my brain. And it's just a little part of my brain where a lot of people are missing a lot bigger parts. It, it's I've fully recovered. So for me saying that it's a positive experience to me, I know that may sound not like it's like there's other people who have not had the same experience I have. But but to your question, has it defined who I am today? Has it has it created who I am business wise today? It it most definitely has. It's been an unbelievable experience that I went through the the first four or five years. I would not wish on anybody after the stroke. But I wouldn't change it for a second because it got to me where I am today and where I am today. We can go into that at some point. But the bottom line is I spend all my time now out educating. I found out that that was my passion in this industry is educating and and teaching people. I'm constantly doing webinars and speaking at conferences and being taught, you know, interviewed on a podcast or I host a podcast or writing articles. So, so I can, if we want to go into that, how that happened, but that's what ultimately happened because of the stroke. It made me look at things different and, and, and created what I do today. So one, one final question on the subject, just out of uh, pure curiosity, I guess you could say on my side is you said for the first four or five years, it was difficult. But then after that, I'm sure it wasn't a cakewalk, but it wasn't. I, I'm sure that there was some kind of change there. What happened after the four or five years that made you look or feel differently, you know, after the stroke? Yeah. And for me, for everybody's journey post stroke, it's different. 
from my standpoint, like I said, it was from a physical standpoint, not anywhere near what most people go through. I, I, I fully recovered use of limbs and speech fairly quickly. Uh, for me, it was more a mental struggle. Um, you know, it was a, a PTSD. It was a depression. It was a panic attacks. It was all these things that went through it. Like, oh, my God, will this happen again? Stuff like that. Exactly. It, and that's what would happen. You we all have a little twinge happen in our head all the time. Most people don't even feel it. As soon as I felt that, am I going to survive this time? Is this another stroke? Am I going to make it? Am I going to? And this just starts building inside of you. All right. It's coming on. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in a lake swimming and I'm, I'm freaked out that, okay, if I have a stroke now, I'm going to drown. I mean, these thoughts just start going through your head. And, and so that was the struggle. The mental struggle is what I had. And I went through counselors. I talked to therapists, uh, probably didn't stick with it as much as I should have. And finally one day, yes, finally one day I found one that I don't know what she did, but just after a few sessions, I was, I was at a standpoint where I, I had this area in my house. I would go sit in. I, I, I said I had this melancholy feeling. Looking back, it was really depression. I didn't want to call it depression. It's what it was. But somehow she did something that after a handful of sessions, I'm sitting there with my brain in charge of me rather than me in charge of my brain. My brain was in charge. And, and I finally just said, I won't use the exact words I said to myself, but um, um, F you. I you're not real. Get out of my head. I'm not listening to you anymore. And that just ended up being my mantra. And honestly, within a month of things coming to my head that I didn't want there, I would say this and it went away. And then it just changed my whole outlook on everything. You know, that that's great. And I think that that's an important story to tell because so many people out there struggle, whether it's mental, physical things that have happened to them. I mean, me personally, I did not have a stroke, but I had a major back injury. And the first surgery failed and we had to do two surgeries. And, you know, it, it took me I mean, first off, I was on steroids for four months. Uh, but then after getting off steroids, just getting my my head back straight again. And, you know, even now, I mean, in what, the, almost seven months post uh, the second surgery. And, you know, even now, it's still like I have fear of moving or doing certain things because I'm afraid, like, what if I hurt myself? And it, it's a, a mental handicap. Hab has not affected me in the role of what I do for my day-to-day -day job, but it has affected me in, in the, the, you know, family life or just natural, natural living and, and stuff like that. And it is sometimes a, uh, a mental struggle. And that's why I like to kind of explore these topics because in business, a lot of time people, you know, their, their struggles are, mental you know it is it is um like hey i i just gotta accept it is what it is and uh work through it and uh don't let x affect y and once you can cross that point like you did by telling that inner head that inner fear to essentially f off um you know you were able to break free of that and grow your career once again yep it, it was great and then from that what i had decided is afterwards is you know, reevaluated what I was doing in the business, reevaluated my role in the business. At the time, I was managing partner and actually, actually honestly thought that was my identity 
you know, but realize that it probably shouldn't be what I'm doing. It's not, I did not have the most passion in that position. And so just reevaluated. We, we changed roles in the company. My partner and I, a partner who started the firm with me, and there was just two of us at that time, two partners. We had a pretty large firm, but two partners. Now there's five. Um, he took over managing partner role. And I just went out more supported like business development and then realized that was where I was really good at. That was where I really had a passion and the, and the support was more just out educating. And my partner in reality, he was really good and is really good at the managing of the firm. He has that mind with processes and procedures and, and just the, the visions of growth. And I just have the more of the, I just want to be out and, and, and help people and so but pre-stroke you weren't able to identify that no you just had stuck in your head that my professional identity is managing partner exactly and it it, it took that life-changing altering um, event uh to help you realize what is your your passion and that's that's really amazing amazing so Let's switch uh, gears real quick and let's talk a little bit about leadership because it's something that you are very experienced with. And one of the things that drew my attention uh, with some of the, the, you know, the bio that you sent me was you had about building a culture around what happens outside the office. First, can you define what is outside the office and then also Tell us, how do you do it? <laughs> that, that's a good one. This is this is this is so much fun for me. And I'm in a role now where I just get to see people, you know, grow in their careers and, and watching that. That's great. But but their careers is one thing. And what makes their career is what they in my mind, what they do outside of work, what their passions are outside of work. And they can bring those to work, too. So. So I've always without having a definition for it, it's always I've always been interested in finding out about the person, not the the position. And you know, even on my podcast, you know, we've been doing three years. At the end of the podcast, I always ask, you know, what are your passions outside of work? What do you do? What makes you you? And, and so that's just been always something I've done. But now what we've done internally is we've started to um, have, we, let's say we have a business development call or we have a project management team call. And when we're on those calls, Every single time at the end of the call, when we do this weekly, one of the employees gets on and it's like a show and tell for 10 minutes at the end. And they talk about, you know, their family. They talk about they'll put up pictures of things that they like doing. They'll put up objects that they'll, they can show. They'll they'll talk about the, you know, one guy who was a an artist, an unbelievable artist. And I didn't even know this. And he was showing us all of his artwork and it was just amazing. Like everybody on the call, I want to buy that piece. I want to buy that piece. And so you didn't know this about this person. Another person used to be a professional motocross racer. Didn't know that. And, and so just when you start to dig deeper into what they do, what their passions are outside of work, I think you get a really better appreciation of what they do in work because you can you can kind of meld those together in certain situations as well. And it and it it's been a lot of fun. That sounds that sounds really great because um, you know, you you do have a professional services business and with that, I mean we're a professional services business here at Vision 33 as well too. And with that 
uh, you know, having your your team, your your consultant uh, in our case or your case, you know, your CPAs or whatever they may be, um, having them gel to be able to to work together remotely on projects is pretty critical, I think. And that's where finding a way to kind of build culture, you know, around your team and, you know, set that set that straight. In fact, we've had somebody on the show. The name is escaping me right now, but it was all about the culture in your business. And it was kind of like, do you have a culture policy? I mean, something that's actually like written down and stuff like that. So I've got to ask you, culture is big in, in your business and learning about the co-workers, colleagues. I mean, do you have a written one yet or no? Actually, we don't have a written policy. What we what we are doing, though, is we are starting to we are a remote business. We always have been from the start. We have small offices around the country, but for the most of us, we're 50 plus people now. We're, we're you know one or two people here or there. And so you have to build this culture. So do we have it written? No. What we did on our last twice a year, we fly everybody from the company into a location um, and we all get together and it'll be a working day and a half where we're, but we're not talking about, we're talking about internal stuff, the business. We're talking about what we need to do to be better as a company for the employees. Um, and so we set up about five different committees on this last meeting, which we had just over a month ago. And one of them was just like the town hall meeting committee where now we're going to get together and we're going to just do stuff that's fun once a month. We, we, we set up a mental health committee, which, you know, that's a, we already talked about mental health. That's a big issue. And so how do we support our employees that may be struggling with something that we don't even know? How do we start to destigmatize you know, mental health issues because people sometimes are afraid to talk about. So we're setting that a committee. So so we don't have I don't think the definition, but I think in general, we have the ground, the roots started of making this culture more defined. So that's very important, you know, having that defined type of of culture, mental health, especially with the remote work. I mean, People like that, you know, we just talked about this in our season four finale uh, with Angela McCardle to where people like to talk about remote work. When you look at the the mainstream media, for the most part, like it's all rainbows and, and unicorns. And it is for a lot of people, you know, because some of them may not actually be working. Uh, my team has always been remote, so it's good. And we have good ways to validate that that work is actually being done stuff like that um but it's you know a big part of that is having trust in your team that you know you have working professionals are they actually completing their work but i i, I think um you know a good thing to talk about too is both of us we kind of have uh niche professional service businesses you know niche for us that we do accounting software and, you know, inventory or manufacturing software, ERP type solutions, uh, but we only target specific industries. And you do yours as far as a niche practice as well, where, you know, you're helping with different credits and stuff like that. So I want to get your take on, especially since you were managing partner for so many years, uh, at the business, I mean, what does it take to build a niche practice and to be successful in a niche where, again, 
you know, you're talking niche. So you're going to have a smaller amount of customers usually. I mean, it, it, you're not doing something broad, you know, it's not like, oh, we can sell to every business in the U.S. You know, no, you're doing niche. So you have a much smaller funnel. How do you grow that practice? Yeah, it, it's interesting because I was a general CPA, you know, generalist. I, I And I thought that was, again, I thought that was my identity back then. I got to get this out of my mind that I always have these identities that aren't really me. But it was, it was, you know, I dealt with small businesses in different industries. You know, I knew the tax code, but I wasn't an expert in every single part of it. You just can't be. Um, if 16 years ago, I merged that practice in with another firm and decided it was time for me to do something else. One, I just was burnt out. I was just working too many hours and it was time. But this niche opportunity just kind of came to me. And at the time, the only product or the only service we were offering was research and development tax credits. We have five other uh, products we offer now or services we offer now, but there's research and development tax credits. And, and this was a thing, and I always have those light bulb moments. I start researching this and I'm looking at it and it's like, this is so interesting. And the niche part comes from that because all of a sudden, you know, tax code, great. I understand that I like doing taxes. Niche, holy cow, I can dig deep into this. I can become the expert at this small part of the tax code and then I can, going back to education, then I can share that knowledge. And that's really, I have done that all along during our business. I've always been out educating, but it wasn't my sole responsibility. So by becoming, this is what I think niche is so important. And, and I talk to CPAs about this all the time. Even if you're not, you know, a niche, whatever, in this or that, you're a generalist, Try to become the expert in one area. Try to start working with restaurants. Try to start working with, you know, trucking companies. If you have a passion about that, try to do that. But for us, building niche practice was all about becoming the expert. I mean, our clients are, for the most part, the CPA firms. They send us to their clients to do a small part of the tax return. Then we bring it back to the CPA. They do the tax return. So you have to build trust. With the CPA, they're sending you to their client. I could, you know, if I'm not doing this right, I can mess up that entire relationship for them. So you have to build trust. That's exactly what you and I had talked about, too, that, you know, we were talking offline about uh, potential referrals because there's a lot of areas that we kind of cross over and there's opportunities to help each other. And I'm like, also, you know, just so you know, when we get those referrals, you know, we do a white glove service because we don't want to mess up that relationship between you and your customer. You know, if you send us a referral because they're going to be like, you referred them to us. You know, I thought you said these guys were good. They were experts and blah, blah, blah. You know, we don't want any part of that. So it's where we are very, very, you know, can't control everything. But for the most part, it is very white glove service and we're very transparent it as well too if things start going you know sideways as far as keeping the partner in the loop like hey this is what's going on and you help us get this back on track you know what i mean communication is key communication and actually i'll jump forward a second because you just said it communication is a key so for years we've been all about making sure when we're working on a cpa's client that we are constantly keeping them in the loop you know, on emails, we're not calling nonstop because they're very busy. They don't want us to call nonstop. Um, we'll keep them in a loop with the emails so they know where we are. We just rolled out a, 
a product that we've been working on for years. It just came out this year, which is it's basically our CPA portal. Every CPA that we work with, and we work with hundreds and hundreds of CPA firms around the country, now has access to a portal where that's going to give them real-time updates on where we are on all the projects that we're working with with their client, where, what, if we're missing information, you know, it'll be on there. If we're having a hard time getting the response, it'll be on there. So we are getting great responses on that. So that's part of that trust uh, issue, just showing them, keep transparency, making sure they understand where we are along the way. Let's dig into another topic that we were just talking about, but we'll dig in a little bit deeper. And, you know, mentioned the the referral business, the white glove stuff. So you, you know, are kind of, or I should say you're, you're, I guess your business would be an expert at developing referral business around the U.S. tax code. How hard was that to kind of get up and going just to get people to to trust you? I mean, the first one's always the the hardest one to get. And then after you get that, then you can use them as a reference. And the second one's usually a little bit easier and so forth. Why don't you explain us the process of what your company went through to build the relationships that you have now? So it was it, it was a long process and I knew it would be a long process because we were we needed to build that trust with the CPA. We could have gone one of two ways when we started this. We could have said we're going to go direct to taxpayers and we're going to sell our services on the tax end to them. Well, in my mind, I, as a CPA, would not want somebody going directly to my client to sell tax services. So I did not feel doing that we were going to build the strong reputation because we would get the CPAs going, oh, that company is talking to my client again. They're getting fearful. Like, are they going to take them away from us? And when it's like, no, 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 we're actually here to supplement. And then they're still like, really? Are you just here to help us? So, so what we decided, we made the decision, we're not going direct to taxpayers, we are going to CPAs. We're going to build that relationship. Now, that's a, that's a longer sell, I guess that's the word. I don't like saying sell, but that's a longer sell because you're not going to build that trust with them overnight. We were very fortunate. The first day I started the firm, I actually had a local CPA firm that I knew was working with a lot of manufacturers. The manufacturers are for the R&D tax credit, the number one user of that. And so I went to that firm and I said, hey, I'd be interested in supporting your clients, you and your clients with this. They were very open. And so we were able to build this relationship with this one CPA firm fairly quickly. And we did a lot of business with them the first year. But that's because I knew them already a little bit. That well, after a year or two, we realized we need to expand our reach to CPAs. And so what we did is we joined or became preferred providers for CPA associations. So there's a bunch of associations around the country. And again, that was not an immediate process, which I'm very happy about because if every association just let everybody come in to be a preferred provider, well, they're not preferred provider. It's whoever's going to spend the most. So most of these associations did a vetting process. You needed to be working with one of their firms first. There had to be positive reviews and we had a very good reputation. So so we did that. But again, that's a three in my mind. It was a three year process to really build that relationship. And now we've been around 15 years and we're part of 10 to 12 associations and we deal with 
you know, uh, we at least have a relationship with just about every top 400 CPA firm in the country. It doesn't mean we work for them all. We know them all because of these groups. And, and so that was the process. The process was a long build trust, do good work, build trust, and then the relationships and the referrals start coming. You know, I, I, I have something I want to add in there, too, because the question always comes up as far as like, for example, we were just at the New Jersey CPA Expo uh, in mid-June. And there, are we looking for clients or ourselves like actual leads with the CPA firms? Yeah, we could be. But I kind of feel like that's, you know, looking for a needle in a haystack. Whereas if you're working with the CPA firms as a referral source, that's where you become a magnet and you're bringing all those needles to you. You don't have to go hunting for that needle in the haystack. And that's the analogy that I always use and try to stress and why I view that, you know, a direct lead, finding referral lead, you know, seeing that somebody just got funding and hitting them up like, hey, you just got a, you know, $50 million in funding. You want to upgrade your, your Texas and that's good. And you'll get a hit on that every now and then. But it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't provide the amount of stability that I think true referral relationships provide. It's the one to many. We go to one, they bring us to many. And, you know, just as an example, we have uh, um, uh, a firm that we've been building a relationship with very strong over the last couple of years. Um, we just projected, I heard this week, that's going to turn into about 100 new uh, clients for us. That's significant. Let's uh, turn topics once again as, uh, you know, we're checking along here. We've talked about so much. It's been a, a, an awesome chat so far. Um, hiring people with disabilities. Okay. Now, everybody knows they fill out an employment application. Are you a veteran? Are you disabled? Blah, blah, blah. It's always there. Okay. Why does that benefit your business and what type of benefit does it actually provide for people that may not understand? Because I'm a stroke survivor, um, stroke is a major cause of disability. It's one of the most major causes. So so it's a, a passion of mine. Today is the last day as uh, that I am president of an organization called Stroke Survivors Empowering Each Other. Um, my three-year run ends today. Um, Term limits, and there you go. There was this woman I got to meet through Stroke Survivors Empowering Each Other. Um, oh, am I going to completely mess up her name? Deb Reynolds. I'm pretty sure it's Reynolds. If I mess that up, I apologize, Deb. She's great. And she's she. Uh, I got to meet her, got to talk to her, and she is all about supporting individuals with disability and getting jobs. And she worked at Walgreens for years, was head of a, a, a committee that they came up with to research or study what the effects are of hiring individuals with disabilities. And they were they were amazed at the data that they got seven years of data. So great, strong data. Everything in the company improved once they started putting this program in profitability improved uh, 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 sick days were reduced. Uh, uh, employee engagement got better. Uh, uh, your 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 reputation in the industry just got better. And so you look at all these things. And so I was able to just piggyback off her knowledge. But there's all this data that just shows there is not any negative effect at all to hiring someone with disability. In fact, it improves just about every aspect of your company. And when I heard her talking about that, I just had to dig deeper. She helped me write an article that we put in accounting today about it because 
in addition to the, the benefits for the business, there are tax benefits as well. I mean, to me, that should be ancillary, um, but it's still out there. And so I had to, as a CPA, intertwine the tax benefits in with just the overall benefits to the business. Um, but it is, it is, and I, I can't spout out all the stats and, and data, but I would look up uh, uh, this Walgreens study because you can find a lot of great data on that. And that's pretty awesome. I got one more topic I want to ask you about before we get your info on how to contact your business and your podcast and all that good stuff. And that is, uh, again, something that just kind of caught my eye was the employee retention credit. You know, we are in the great resignation, as they call it, although the CEO of Recruiter.com, Evan Stone, was on the show is a CNBC jobs report contributor. And he did tell us that, uh, you know, he expects that to end by September with all the uh, data that they have. And. If you look at it, we may actually be going into a recession, it seems, at this point in the future. Who knows? I think it's a little bit too early to say definitively or not, but we shall see what the future brings us. So what is the benefit of the employee retention credit and how does that work? So do you have an hour right now? Because <laughs> it'll take me a while to give me the, the five minute overview. So so the employee retention credit. This is this is something that I just again, passion's a big thing I talk about all the time and being passionate about tax. Some people might look at me like I'm crazy, but this came out employee retention credit came out. Because of the pandemic, it was in response to the pandemic. And, and so what the Congress did is put out this incentive to, hey, rather than everybody gets laid off and everybody goes on unemployment, let's put an incentive out there that if you retain employees and, and, and that there's no requirement to who you retain, if you have any employees and you qualify, you, you get this credit. And so what they did is they said, hey, if you can keep people on staff, even if it's half your people, the people you do keep on staff. If you were affected by the pandemic, and there's a couple different ways to be affected, a, a drop in revenue or a government mandate, I won't go deep into that. But if you had this effect, we're going to give you a credit for every employee you retain. In the year 2020, it could be up to $5,000 per employee. In the year 21, it could be up to $21,000 per employee. And so, you know, we have right there, if you qualified for all the periods, there's $26,000 available for one employee. If you have 10 employees, that's $260,000 tax credit. But what it is, when you say credit, it sounds like you have to use it to offset taxes. It's a refund check. It's just the IRS sends you $260,000 refund check. So it's a great, great benefit for companies that qualify and I want to I want to put a disclaimer out there. There's a lot of companies, I think, unfortunately, that are putting misinformation out there. And I think there's too many companies taking advantage of this credit that don't qualify. So you have to make sure you meet the requirements. So two questions with that. First off is it sounds great if you were one of those companies that probably filed an extension you're still going to have time to look into those credits to get it added in. So definitely you should reach out to Randy's company for that to get some help. Uh, second question is um, uh, 2022. Is there anything for 2022? Okay, let me, I'll answer that first. Employee retention credit for 2022, no. And it, it will not, it will not come back. Now there is a credit out there called the Work Opportunity Tax Credit that is available for businesses that hire individuals. And you kind of mentioned it before. 
certain individuals in a veterans category or certain individuals that that meet certain uh, demographic definitions, they have that credit. But let me go back real quick to the, the 2020 and the 2021 employee retention credit. That is actually that we are not up against any deadlines right now. For, the, for all of the 2020 credit, you actually have until April 15th of 2024 to file those amended returns. And for all the 21 credit, you have till April 15th of 2025. So there's still quite a bit of time if, if you qualify to be able to take advantage of this. And that, that's really important information. Again, if you qualify. Now, let's, let's get into some quick speculation real quick. If we go into a recession, because I know a lot of business people are fearing that possibility. I mean, we're hearing it in our sales cycles, like, hey, you know what? Uh, we just want to see what happens with the economy right now before we spend 250000 on a new ERP platform. And, you know, if we go into recession, do you think it's possible that instead of companies doing mass layoffs, which we are already seeing with some tech companies, given how the, the stock market has been performing as of late, um, do you think it's possible that this comes back in some type of shape or, or form in the future uh, if a recession hits, given that they did it for COVID and we're not that far away? It's not like they did it 20 years ago and now or during the Great Recession you know, 10, 15 years ago, you know, they did an, an extended unemployment, bene uh, extended unemployment benefits for that type of stuff. But I don't think there's any type of retention stuff for the employers. They did that during COVID. Do you think there's a possibility if we do hit a recession that it might come back in some shape or form? I think if we do go to a recession, they'll obviously be looking at any kind of uh, tax incentives they can put out there to help minimize the effect of a recession. They've learned a lot, I think, during the last couple of years on, on what works because we've had a lot of incentives. Everybody knows we have incentives. I mean, they've been all over the place. Uh, I think they've learned that there, there's some things that do work and there's some things that don't work. A version of employee retention credit. Uh, I, I, I honestly think that would be tough to do, uh, but an incentive that maybe somehow have a slight connection to it. I can see something like that happening. Um, it's just the problem with the employee retention credit. It is an unbelievable credit, but this is my opinion. There's not enough oversight on how you qualify or how you file for it. So any company right now could qualify, not qualify, could file for it. There's no pre-qualification. There's nothing I have to send in with it. There's nothing I have to do other than IRS maybe do a desk review when you send it in if it's a big credit. Eventually, the only way they're going to find out if they're legit or not is in audits. And so I think if they do anything in the future, let's say there is a recession, I think there's going to be more of a pre-qualification aspect to it so that they can make sure that there's not any kind of fraud or anything else happening with it. And that's a, that's a good point, because I tell you what, right now, as I open up my phone and I just go through the, the news, uh, you know, I mostly fake, you know, focus on local news, but it's got some national, international stuff mixed in when it's big. But every day I see another case, someone, you know, arrested for the the credit fraud and, and stuff like that. Hey, Randy, this has been awesome. I mean, we've covered so many topics. I can't believe that we jammed it in in probably about 35 minutes or so. 
But please do me a favor. Uh, tell everybody where they can digitally stalk you online, where they can find your company, where they can find your podcast, everything about you. So the best starting point is our website, which is try tri-merit.com. There, there's all kinds of information about the company. There's information you can link to my contact information. The, the I'm on LinkedIn all the time. Um, we have a YouTube channel. We have a TikTok channel. We have oh. a, uh, um, a Facebook page. We have uh, all that. Uh, in addition, I have the podcast called The Unique CPA, where we uh, we just talk about fun and again people might think i'm geeky but fun things happen in a public accounting so 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 yeah i have a great time with that that's definitely a niche podcast right (laughs) we got the niche industry we got the niche podcast i agree there you go there you go hey randy thank you for coming on this has been a blast and i really appreciate you talking about the stroke your personal struggles how you overcame that because I think there's somebody listening to this podcast right now, watching on YouTube, Rumble, you know, anywhere that they can find it, Spotify, iTunes, whatever, that this is probably going to help. So thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah. Can I build on that for one second? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I know we're getting ready to finish here, but yeah, go ahead. I, I recently did a podcast on, on stroke and I had another uh, person that works in the, the accounting industry who had a stroke as well. And he and I did a, a podcast about it. I had a CPA reach out to me after that saying, Hey, I'm eight months post stroke. I would love to sit down and talk with you and, and just, you know, kind of understand what you went through. And so he and I are having lunch next week. And so just like you said, if there's That's one awesome. person listening and one person that gets something positive out of it, I, I, I'll i take it. That's a win. That's a win. Hey, Randy, thank you so much for coming on and uh, surviving being check bait. This has been a blast and we haven't had any Zoom problems. So Not no jinx. Very great. <laughs> thank you, well, sir. Thank, bye bye. Thanks for having me. Bye. Oh, wow. That uh, that was really heart-touching, wasn't it? Well, first, you all know the routine. If you found this interview helpful, if it sparked those warm and buzzies, do me a favor, hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. But if you really want to help us out, because you know Shark Bite Biz is the greatest kept secret in the world of small business, please share us out to your friends, your colleagues, your family, anywhere you dwell on the interwebs, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Minds, Rumble, anywhere you can. We appreciate it. Help us get the word out. Now, let's get back to our rock star guest, Randy. We covered so many different topics in this episode. I'm only going to touch on one of them. The mind is powerful. It can be your greatest friend or your greatest inhibitor. For Randy, his personal story really, I mean, it really touched me. As you all know, I've had some health issues this past year. That's part of the reason why I scaled the show back from two episodes down to one episode a week. I had a failed surgery. I was on steroids, pain meds. You know, I was completely out of it. My confidence in myself, my confidence in my abilities, I'll be honest, I mean, it was shattered. And only now am I getting back into my groove again. Because like I said, for about nine months, I lost faith in myself. That is what Randy went through. He was living in fear, not because he had to, because his mind was an inhibitor, not allowing him to return to full form. 
It took him a while. I think he said about five years uh, during the interview that we had to really figure it out and regain his passion. And now he is out doing what he loves to do and totally kicking butt again. He has one of the top 10% of all podcasts out there with his unique CPA show. So awesome stuff, Randy. You know, I can't thank you so much for coming on and just giving a real personal deep dive into your life, into your struggle. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your moving story. If you need some help, you know, you're a stroke survivor, you had something similar like that, please reach out to Randy. He will talk with you and maybe give you that one piece of information that you're missing to totally change your life and get back to form again. But if you don't need help, still check out his podcast, The Unique CPA, and also his business, Try Merit, especially if you can use some awesome tax-saving advice. So the question of the day, have you heard about our live stream? Well, it's tonight, July 25th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube. Make sure you watch us again. It's going to be right here on the Shark Bite Biz channel. We already have it up. There's an image there for the live stream. You can click the notification bell and get a little ding when we're going live. So leave a comment here on YouTube on this video. Let us know if you're going to be joining us tonight. Do you want to be on the show? If so, send out an email to interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. Again, if you're watching on YouTube, you can join the channel for only $3 a month. Yes, $3 a month. You can become a baby shark, support the show. If not, jump on over to deadhousecoffee.com where you can get the freshest coffee available. I'm talking about coffee that is literally roasted, sealed, and shipped within a 24-hour period based on their roasting schedules to your doorstep. Best part, use the code SHARK. You'll save 20% off your order. And all the orders, you know, they help us do what we do right here at the show. Hey, I'm David Strausser. This is Shark Bite Biz. We're going to see you tonight at our live stream. If not, you'll be able to catch the replay and you'll see us with our episode next week. See you tonight. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story.